I'm gonna be taking a reading from Romans 7, verse 7 to 13. What shall we say then? Is the Lord's sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Therefore, the that which is good become a cause of death for me, may it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. We're going to be looking at the relationship between the law and the sin. Paul uses law about six times within this section, uses three times as law, three times as the law. Sin is mentioned nine times in this section, uses it seven times as sin, two times as the sin. So, this sin makes it like as if it personifies sin. The commandment, which is the details of the law, it mentions it seven, six times within this section. And this is like the theme that he wants to talk about. In this session, now we're going to look at it in two headings. The law is not sin. The second heading is the law is holy and sin is sin. First one, the law is not sin. And we see the objection coming. It says, "Then what shall we say? Is the law sin?" And if you had been following Paul and his expositions of the law. If you read verse 5, it said, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law. We had to walk in the members of our body to bear fruit to death. So it seems the way he was saying is that the law aroused these sinful passions while you were in the flesh. So it's almost like saying the law is sin because the law is just bringing out sinful passions. Nothing good is coming out. So the law is sinful. So the objector is asking, is the law sinful? Just like someone we ask is a Emmanuel intelligent. Is Emmanuel intelligent? What does that mean? It means he's asking, is the car uh, one of the characteristics of Emmanuel is he intelligent? So is is one of the characteristics of the law sinful? Or is the law sin? And Paul is saying, no, no, no. On the contrary, which we will later go on to say. In verse 12, the law is holy. Now, 
The first response he gives is, may it never be as usual. God forbid that someone would say the law is sinful. And so should we also say, God forbid, the law is not sinful. Now, it goes on to his next point. The knowledge of sin comes through the law. And he has already stated it in the book of Romans that for through the Romans 3 20 says, For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So when there is no law, you can't know what is wrong and what is right. But when law comes, you cannot prove innocence. The law shows you what is good, what is right. So you now know what is sin. And sin is basically the transgression of the law. The law of God, the standards of God. So, he said, if the law had not said, you shall not covet, he wouldn't have known covetousness was a sin. But the moment the law has stated it plainly, you shall not covet you shall not steal. Then if you do it, you know that is a sin. So rather than the law being sin, it says it's the law sin. It's saying the law defines what is sin. How can I be the one to define what is sin and I be that sin again? It's just like God created this earth, this universe that we live in. And you're asking, is the universe God? Does that make sense? The universe and God are totally separate. God is the creator of the universe. So the law defines what is sin. So there's no way the law can be sin itself. If the law is sin itself, we cannot define what is sin. His views will be prejudiced to define what sin is. Then he says that the sin in in me took took opportunity through the commandment and produced in me all covetousness. Now he says the the sin in me, he personifies, like I said, there's a person within me a principle within me that is taking advantage as the as the commandment is coming and that is the thing that is basically in all of us that there is a sin lurking within us first john 1 verse 7 to 8 says but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus is son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So as we go on walking in light, as we go on walking with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus goes on cleansing us from all sin. It's called Christ, for He shall save His people from all their sins. So if you are struggling with lust, if you are struggling with uh, pornography, if you are struggling with stealing, if you are struggling with modesty, if you are struggling with uh, hunger, what happens as you go on working with the Lord? Just keep on working with the Lord. 
and the blood of Jesus goes on taking away this sin that is within you. Taste it and rip it, rip it off totally to the end, to when you become perfect. And you'll find out that these struggles will no longer be struggles for you. It will be like as if they were no longer there before. You'll be wondering how is it possible that I can actually live free from lust? I can actually live free from anger. Because the blood of Jesus has taken it away. But when the sin is there, it takes advantage through the commandment to do to produce covetousness or greed. When you have greed in your heart already, when you have covetousness in your heart already, when the law comes, when the commandment comes, do not covet. Rather than it stopping you from being covetous, it comes. That covetousness within you, yes, is negative. Do not covet. And comes out and produces all covetousness to the more. It's almost like as the law is like a fertilizer to the sin that is within you to arouse it or arouse these sinful passions within you. Like I gave the other time, I said, if you tell someone who is who smokes, basically who's addicted to smoking, if you write in the place, do not smoke here. The person in that moment, all that is going through their head is, let me get a cigarette and actually smoke now. All because the law have come. If he hadn't seen that, his mind wouldn't even have gone to this smoking. But that thing, sin is already locking within him. And the moment the law came, it attracted it and wanted to bring the sin out. And stay it up, arouse it, seduce the sin within him to come out. So the sin within him is taking advantage of that command to want to do its purpose. Now it says the sin deceived him in verse 11. For sin having taken an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the sin took the occasion that the commandment came and that commandment used it as a means to deceive you and when the commandment came that don't steal don't be conventional you thought you were able to keep it but it rather deceived you and actually shows your incapability to keep that command and it killed you basically because that was the moment you died that 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 is um, leads to physical death because basically you have sin. The soul that sinned shall die, and the wages of sin is death. So that is why it's leading to basically because of your sin. Uh, for example, you have a good friend, maybe a brother. And maybe, for example, you are not, uh, maybe you are just a nominal Christian. And this brother is like a holier than thou person in your own eyes, basically. And the guy comes and starts talking about, bros, this thing that you are doing is not good. It's, it's not in accordance with the faith and every single thing. And you, basically, with your sinful lifestyle, always wanting to defend your sins. 
come out and says, I want to defend it. You now start insulting this guy and his own style, style and start bringing out how he himself is not perfect. Bringing out his past life and everything. He call out, go on calling the guy names. And you blame him for this, that the, that the reason why you insulted now was because he came. If he had never come, this insult, this bad character within you would have never come out. You now say, every time this guy is coming, you say, well, this guy has temptation. If you even slap him or beat him because of what he did, you say, he's the one that is responsible, not you. So, the same way you yourself will tend to blame the guy responsible for your own actions, rather than yourself. That is why, that is the same way Paul is saying here, that the sin in you is blaming the law for you uh, being covetous, for you being greedy. When it's actually your own, the sin within you that is responsible for producing the law and covetousness within you. When it's actually your bad character that you have, the insultive character, you have the hot temper within you that is producing this ungodly behavior. Instead of you to take responsibility for your actions, you are not blaming it upon the law. And when we have that view of lifestyle that we tend to blame people for our own actions, there can be no change in our lifestyles. Because we go on blaming people till we die. We never take responsibility for our actions. But the moment we see that it's not the law that is the problem, it's the sin within us that is causing this problem. We notice it that it's the sin within us that is causing the problem. They will notice our need for a change. That they, that there needs to be a taking away from of this sin from our heart for this problem to be solved totally. And that is where we begin to find our need for Jesus Christ. The only one who can take this sin out from our lives. The only one who can save us from our sin. So we have to be responsible for our reactions to the law and not blame it to the, on the law for making us sinful. And Paul says, apart from the law, sin is dead. You are alive. When the law came, sin revived and you died. And the same way is that when your friend is not there, you feel you are good. You feel you don't have all temper. You are just on your own, enjoying everyone's Maybe watching the TV, enjoying the good life. But when that your friend comes and starts speaking the way it does, the sin within you just revive. The sin that was sleeping, that bad temper that was sleeping on its own, just revived from nowhere, came alive again, and started showing itself around. And that is what uh, Paul is telling us here. And the moment that happens, you died. Just brings about... Because after the whole incident happened, you start seeing the regret, you start coming to guilt for your actions. So you saw that it produced nothing good that the person did. When the person came, the, your reaction to the whole matter produced nothing better. Because you ended up defending yourself, the bad deeds that you are doing. Instead of taking a respons your responsibility for your actions and taking a change, 
you defended yourself and you still blamed him for your actions that you reacted to him. So sin must be dealt with, must be killed for it not to come alive again. So you have to remain alive and let sin be totally dead, not not to revive it at all. Now he says the law and the commandment was unto life. That was unto life, this proved to be to me unto death. And the commandment was to produce life, basically. But because of the sin within him, it resulted in death rather than life. That was the end goal that it was producing. I will see this clearly in the Old Testament. Romans, Deuteronomy 4, verse 1 says, Now rule Israel, listen to the statutes, the judgment which I am teaching you to perform. So that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So he's saying here, this will result in physical and spiritual life for people. In verse 4, he says, Those, but you who went fast to the world, your God, are alive today, every one of you. And he's saying, Those who went fast to it, to the world of God, to the Lord, to keep his commands. Like Joshua and Caleb were alive today, there. The rest had been destroyed in the wilderness because they didn't keep to God's command. And it had already resulted for those who kept it. Like Joshua and Caleb resulted in life for them. Um, Verse 40 says, You shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I have given you today, that I may go well with you and with your children after you. And that you may live wrong on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So, if they keep his commandments, they won't lose the land. They will live long in the land that God gave to them. No one is going to take them away from their land. Deuteronomy 5.33 says, You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. So the purpose of walking in the way of the Lord is that you may live. God wanted them to live by keeping the laws. In Ezekiel 18, say, keep my statutes. If you will turn away from your righteousness and keep my commands, practice righteousness, you are going to live. But if you turn away from this, then you are going to perish. Sin kills. You kill sin before it kills you. Deuteronomy 30 verse 15 to 20 says, See, I have said before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgment, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing, the Jordan, to enter and possess it. I call everyone and heads to witness against you today. They have said before you life and death, the blessing and the cause. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, 
by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to you, fathers, to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. So the law was to result in life for them, basically, and God is telling them, choose before me this day. And how do you choose life? By wanting to keep the command. That is how you choose life. If you do not keep the command, then you will perish this day. If you go and worship other gods, you are going to perish. But if you love the Lord your God with all your might, you won't perish, you will live. And that is what God said before them. The law was to result in life for them. But the sin within them just made them incapable of making the law result in the life for them. It made it result in death for them. And that is the same thing. We in the society where we are today, most of the laws that are kept in our society is for our own good. It's meant to result in life for us. You see laws like uh, like don't steal, don't bother. It's for our own good for people to live. If if these laws are not in society now, and there was no law against murder, someone could just get angry and just kill the other person, stab the other person, all because of his odd temper that is just outrageous. But the moment these laws are there, it sets a limit, a restraint upon you. When you think about the consequences of this law and the penalty for murder, you won't even want to do it anymore again. So that's what we are saying here. The law is for our own good life. The laws that God has set is for our own good. It's to help us live peacefully among one another. It's to help us live in peace with Him. So this is the way God wants us to live. He has rescued uh, us. And he wants us to live in a good relationship with him and not cause anything that we have our relationship with him and with one another. And God hates sin. And that's why he's telling you what he hates. That don't do it. So that your relationship between him and you will still be stable. Now we'll go to the second edit. The law is holy and sin is sin the law is holy the commandment is holy and righteous and good like it says in Ephesians 5 9 for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth God is light God is holy God is in a, in a light that is a Inapproachable, unapproachable light. That is where he existed. And the fruit of the light. One of the fruit of the light basically that he has given us. What the fruit is basically what someone produces. And one of the produces of God is the law. God has produced the law from himself. So that law shows us this light of God. That law, which is the light, the fruit of the light. Is what consisting in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The law contains truth, it contains righteousness, it contains goodness. The law was created in the likeness of God, created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
And that's why God said in the Old Testament, as He's telling us in the New Testament, He was able to tell them in the Old Testament, Be holy for I am holy. And how are they to be holy? By keeping the commands that He had given to them. That was the way they were serving God in the Old Testament, in the oldness of the letter. So He says, Be holy for I am holy. And when it means that you have to keep all the 613 commandments, of the Old Testament, and that is the way you'll be holy, for God is holy. So the law shows us the holiness of God and the standards of God. And when we see the law, we measure ourselves by that standard and we see how far short we are falling of that standard of God. Times people think Christianity is all about keeping the Ten Commandments. That if you keep, uh, what does it take to be a te- uh, to uh, be a Christian? Keep the Ten Commandments. So if you keep the Ten Commandments, you go to heaven. Then you ask how many of them? How many of you can have actually kept the Ten Commandments? Not all of them can raise up their hand because they follow short. Because God, even if God was to even say the standard now of going to heaven is just keeping the Ten Commandments perfectly, none of us will still make it to heaven. That is the funny thing. To the extent that if it was, if we even take it to the length of the expositions that our Lord Jesus Christ gave on the Sermon on the Mount of the Ten Commandments, we see we are still falling short of God's standard of righteousness. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The law is perfect, there is no righteousness in it. It's as perfect as Christ is. And Christ fulfilled the law. Christ that fulfilled the law. If the law was not perfect, then Christ wasn't perfect. Because that's what he fulfilled. Christ obeyed all the law. All of the law. All the 613, he obeyed all. So if the law was not perfect, if the law had no righteousness in it, and Christ obeyed the law, then there is no way Christ would have been perfect. First Timothy 1, it says, We know the law is good, if one uses it lawfully. And what he's trying to say here is that it's no good using the law on the person that doesn't need it. It's no good telling a person that doesn't drink to don't drink. It's no good telling someone that doesn't steal, don't steal. It's terrible, no good telling someone that doesn't murder, don't murder. Because they won't normally do it without the law. So we ask ourselves this question. Do we need law to motivate us not to do something first before we don't do it? We have to ask ourselves, have we gotten to that level? Where we don't actually need laws. Not to do something. And we don't normally do this. If they stated in your company, if they need state in your company, don't be corrupt. Would you not be corrupt because they didn't state it? If you will be corrupt because they didn't state it, then your the law is needed for you. But those who normally do it, they don't need the law. 
The law is God's standard for judgment. Romans 2, 12 to 16 says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. The law is going to be the standard on that last day that God is going to judge everyone by. And we usually ask, what about those who haven't had the opportunity to hear the gospel? What's going to happen to them? And God is saying his word, I've given them a bit of light. I'm going to judge everyone by the light I've given them. Those who do not, have not heard the gospel, the Gentiles basically, that have not heard the gospel, God has written a law in their hearts. They have consciences that are telling them what is right and wrong every day. Have they obeyed their consciences since they were born till death? And none of them can say they've obeyed their consciences all their life. The Jews who have the law, have they kept the law perfectly? None of them can say they've kept the law. So, in God's sight, they are all guilty. And that is why they need the gospel. Because as they are going to now meet God, they can't stand. They follow short of God's standard already. So they need the gospel. That is what we see. That the, the law is God's standard of judgment. And I was saying uh, some time ago to some people that James is saying not many should be teachers because there's a way you have to interpret God's word rightly. And if you interpret it wrongly and give people a kind of uh, interpretation that what God's word is uh, saying is actually a sin, and you interpreted it not to be a sin, you will face greater condemnation, most especially for those people who are under your care, who are listening to you. And another greater condemnation is basically you are a preacher of God's word. Do you practice what you preach? I was looking at uh, the, the case of, the, for example, divorce and remarriage now. In, I, I would review that the only um, case for remarriage is after death, that you cannot remarry for anything that God uh, Jesus only permitted divorce in the case of um, adultery or sexual immorality. Why for uh, Paul permitted it if the unbeliever wants to separate, if the unbeliever wants to divorce, not the believer, but if the unbeliever wants to divorce but never none of them permitted remarriage but there are some churches which is the popular view which teach that um god permits divorce on the basis of adultery and on that basis too you can remarry that the marriage covenant has broken and all that then you can remarry even after divorce on the basis of uh, adultery in my own view remarriage after divorce is adultery but in this view it's not adultery it's pleasing in god's sight because god has had mercy upon you then you had the one who was divorced who the wife had maybe the wife committed adultery and you divorced in god's sight god has mercy on you and you can divorce and remarry again 
I'm saying now, in my own view, in that last day, God is not going to say, this church, I'm going to judge you by the light, that the way your pastor interpreted the scripture and he came to the conclusion that that is not adultery. And you, we are going to judge you by your own standard and everyone's truth. No. God is going to judge by his own standard that he has put in his word. What did I say in my word? Did I call this thing adultery or not? It's now for us to seek what's the truth. Because if God is going to be judging everyone by their own truth, that this one's own interpretation, this one by their own interpretation, then no one is going to go to hell. Because everyone is going to do what is right in their own sight. So that's why we have to be diligent to undo God's word. We have to be diligent to seek what is the right interpretation of God's standard that has been us here. Because even in the Old Testament, if someone committed a sin and they didn't know that it was a sin, he was still guilty of it in God's sight. And he had to, that is what he, they call the guilt offering. And Jesus said, the, more, uh, the servant who knows the master's way and doesn't do this is going to take many strokes. The one who doesn't know and does it is still going to take strokes. But the thing is that those who have the knowledge are going to suffer more. And God takes sin seriously in believers because we know that we have the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong of God. So that is the basic thing. Well, God is going to judge according to his own standard, not my truth or your truth. There is no my interpretation or your interpretation. It's what does God's word say? Because on the last day, it's not my interpretation or your interpretation that is going to count. It's God's own interpretation that is going to count on that last day. Hebrews 7.19 says, The law couldn't make anyone or anything perfect. The law can't make anyone holy. It can't make anyone righteous and good. And that's why we see why we condemn this so-called preaching of moralism or behavior management. That tell people, don't do this, don't do that. Like I said, that would transform anyone and doesn't bring anything about the gospel. You just tell people, stop doing this, stop doing this in the whole society. Trying to change their behaviors without the gospel. It doesn't work out. Tell someone who wants to defeat lust and give him a lot of steps that this is the way you defeat lust without the gospel. How will it work out? And that is the same thing we see in our society. We have laws against murder. We have laws against stealing. We have laws against corruption. As this stop people from uh, killing, as this stop people from being corrupt in government, when they enter government position from stealing money, with all these laws that we have been seeing, have it stopped people from doing it? No. The law can't make a sinner a saint at all. Go to the next point. It says, through the commandment in verse 13, sin is working out death to you. Sin, like sin is preparing a grave for you, basically. So when the commandment is coming, it's like as if sin is cooking up death for you. That's what is working out. It's preparing, doing gym, doing gym for, for death for you. Open grave. And the commandment proves that sin is sin. 
that there is actually sin in your nature. And he says again, sin beyond the essence becomes sinful. Like an hyperbole. It exaggerates sin when the commandment comes. So the law is like an examination that you are meant to fail. First Timothy 1 9 says, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers. So the law is like an examination that you were meant to fail even before you do it. You can't pass it. It's above your capacity. The law is above the capacity of the sinner to keep. That sin within him has to be dealt with. And the law shows your true nature that you are a failure. Because once the law comes, and you have written that exam. That exam. The result comes out. You yourself, you didn't, maybe you didn't know that such a sin existed in, within you. Greed didn't, didn't exist within you. Covetousness didn't exist within you. But when the law came, you saw greed actually existed within you. It proved that there is a sin within you. And showed you your true nature that you are a failure. And not only that, it exaggerates the failure that you are. Because... Before, the failure was just locking in within you. But now the result have showed clearly that you're actually a failure. And he says, someone who was, had covetousness within him before, the Lord says, do not covet. And when the law came, it produced all manner of covetousness and greed within the person. So you see, it exaggerates the sin that you had within you before, that you are trying to manage, contain in your quietness before. So when the results come out, you see that you are a total failure. I just want to end with uh, a word for the sinners. Another word for the saints. The word for the sinners is this. The sinners and the self-righteous is this. What the law could not do, we can towards through the flesh. God did in sending the Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. So you have to recognize that you are not capable of, to keep God's law. You have tried your best as, as a self-righteous person. It only made you self-righteous and hypocritical. It made you Pharisee, uh, like a Pharisee. Just trying to keep the law. And he's saying the law can't change your nature. And God knew it, that the Lord can't make you righteous. And he says, what the law could not do, God did. By sending his son as an offering for sin. Christ has offered for sin. For your sin and mine. You have to recognize that. You have to turn away from your sin. Repent. Turn away, stop that sin and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop trying that law to keep the law. Christ said in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ says, come to him. We know you have been trying to keep this law. We know the burdens that you've been trying to carry. Every time someone tells you, uh, don't steal, don't steal, don't steal. You have tried your best to obey that command. But you just find yourself going back to steal. This is a burden upon you. And Christ is saying, come to me. I will give you rest. I will go with you to take this burden. I will go with you. And he's saying, all you just to do, repent. Turn away from that sin. Bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Renounce that sin totally. I'm not going back there anymore. Renounce the law totally. I'm not going back to the law anymore. And put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to turn you from a sinner to a saint. It's going to take away that sin within you that takes advantage of the Lord to produce all manner of unrighteousness. It's going to give you a new heart with pure mind, with pure desires, pure thoughts that will be able to live to glorify Him, that will be able to please Him, that you will be able to bear fruit unto God. And I have a word for the saint again. What the Lord could not do. Don't go back to what could not do. Keep on going back to the one who did. Keep on going back to God. Keep on going back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let Christ live through you to bear fruit to the God. Don't go back to in bondage to that law anymore. The law could not do. God has done. So don't go back to what could not do. Don't put yourself in bondage to the law anymore. And put yourself under the wrath of God. Don't put yourself under the slavery of the law anymore. And say, continue in the path of faith that you have begun with the Lord. And as you go on, continue in the faith, God will call supply you a spirit to enable you, to strengthen you, to live the Christian life, to walk in the newness of life. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that has come so mightily upon us today. We recognize, O oh Lord, our incapability to keep your laws. And we have come, O oh Lord, to ask for your help, O oh Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, to live according to your standards. These standards are not ideals. They are meant for some elite people to keep. You, These standards are what you require for all of us. And we have seen our incapability to meet your standard. And we have come to meet you. And we so much thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ to do what the Lord could not do. To change our hearts. That we cannot be as holy as you are holy. That we cannot be able to be perfect. That we cannot be sent no longer sinners. That the sin within us can be taken away. We thank you Lord for this. For this truth O Lord that you have brought to our mind. May we O Lord never go back in bondage to the Lord. Help us O Lord to keep this freedom which we have in Christ. It's for freedom that you set us free. We will keep on resting in Christ for the rest of our days. And giving you all the glory, O Lord. Thank you, O Lord, that the righteous requirement of the Lord is being fulfilled in us. And we are able to subject ourselves unto you. 
in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.